0: Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from May 1st by Brother Todd Burgess, titled Matthew 4, verse 1 and 2. It's good to be here this morning again and just to share God's Word with you. And we're going to be going through Matthew chapter 4. And over the, and should, should be able to get it done by June 6th, I, th- I think. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but we're, what we're looking at, as you, as you looked at Matthew chapter 3, Matthew, in his writing of the gospel here, is really presenting a, a plan. And in Matthew 3, you saw what real salvation involved. You saw the real plan of salvation, and and that's important. But then we're going to see here in chapter 4, one of the the basic features of a child of God is that of prayer and fasting. And it's all about humility before God. That's what it's all about. It's it's, it's the steps that, that we as Christians need to take to live in the fullness of God, in the Spirit of God. And then chapter 5 is a chapter where it tells how we are to, um, just more more in detail about how to live that Christ-centered life. And so that's what you see, that you see that progression through Matthew. And so... In uh, these first, and we're just going through the first two, two verses today. And again, if we, if we would stand and, and I'll read these two verses. And It says, Then Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward hungered. Lord God, we come before you. And Father, we know that you are a God that never changes. We know that you're a God that works through many different um, venues, many different ways to reach people for Christ. And Lord, I just pray that you would just lay upon our hearts the truth of your word here and how important it is, uh, this, this thing called fasting and praying. And so, Heavenly Father, may you just guide us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Um, As I just mentioned, Jesus' baptism had just taken place and John had just uh, confirmed the Holy Spirit's descending upon Jesus as a dove. But before Jesus is able to begin his public ministry, he is first led into the wilderness by the Spirit of God to fast and pray. And I just wonder sometimes how many how often, how many times Christians have allowed the Holy Spirit to confirm their ministry that God has placed them in. And let me tell you, as a child of God, as a Christian, everyone has a ministry. Okay, you have a ministry. And the thing is, have you recognized what that ministry is? Um, and one of the basic ministries for husband and wife when you have children is is to raise your children. And the admonition of the Lord. and that, that, That's a ministry, folks, that, that we need to do. We can't allow church to raise them. You can't allow schools to raise them. That's the job for mom and dad. Now, church can help. They can support. I used to say schools can support. But sometimes you, you, there's, there's a whole different situation going on in schools nowadays. Um, But we need to understand that. Have have we got confirmation from the Spirit of God that the path that we're on is the path that He has chosen for us? Or is it the path we're on and what we have chosen? And that's what these two verses here talk about. And so Jesus is going to begin his, His ministry with fasting and prayer. And that first verse... It says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Now, there's a phrase in there we need need to kind of grab hold of, and that's led up. Led up. It refers to a compulsion, being pushed forward. And so Jesus was compelled to go into the wilderness to spend time with the Holy Spirit of God. Now we see this same usage, the same Greek word is being used in Acts 12 verse 4 when Herod had arrested, after Herod had arrested Peter and he was going to put Peter to death the next day and that verse says, and when he, as Herod, had apprehended him, Peter he put him in prison and delivered him to four Quinturians of soldiers to keep him intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people and there is that word that, that word there, bring him forth, bring him. See, it's a compulsion. Peter's not going to want to go there voluntarily, but he's going to be compelled to go, go in that direction. And that's what happened with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit compelled him to go to the wilderness. And so it's important that we understand this. Um, we also see in that verse, verse as to why Jesus was led there Yes. He was led by the Spirit, but the purpose of that of the Holy Spirit leading Jesus was to be tempted of the devil. To be tempted of the devil. Now, tempted, sometimes we can get off base when we look at these words tempted or, t- or tested or whatever. But tempted simply means to be proved, put to the test. Now, this can either be a good sense when God wants to show us our character and he says, hey, you're doing a good job, this is because you went through this, this is where you're at. Or it could be kind of of a, of a negative sense when he had to show Peter that Peter, you're going to deny me three times. be, oh, no, I won't do that. But then times came and Peter denied him three times. Okay, so it can be of God. God can use these things to, 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 to show us, although God does not tempt us, but he does test us, he does prove us. But now we also see that it can be of a bad sort where, where ill intent and harm is hoped for. Uh, think about this. When, when Job did nothing wrong, but yet God allowed Satan to go in and do all sorts of harm and ill intent toward Job. God does these things. He, and Job found out he, he, he doesn't have the, the right to ask God why. You know, we just have to understand God is God. And so, when you look at tempted, folks, there's a reason for it in our lives. We can't avoid it. So often we want to try to avoid things. We've got to face it head on. And so, how often do we allow the Holy Spirit to prove us or reveal our own character to us? I think too often it's not until some tragic sin takes place and then we realize, oh, how, how, we, how we've fallen. But yet, if, if we were involved in walking with the Holy Spirit and fasting and prayer, I believe the Holy Spirit would have shown us these weaknesses long ago. And he would have already helped us to overcome them today at the moment. And so I think it's so important that we understand this. If we're, if we're following the direction of the Holy Spirit, he wants to reveal to us Where we are, where we stand, truthfully, where we are in Christ. And and that's so important. You see, this this first verse is done for us, for you and me. It's for us. In fact, everything Jesus is going to go through in Matthew chapter 4 is for us. He is teaching us how to overcome, how to be overcomers. We just have to have ears that want to hear and so now in verse 2, and then you just, uh, my, my, I was suffering a little bit of laryngitis earlier this week, so it's, it's still kind of hanging out there. It's nothing contagious. I've talked, went to the doctors, everything's good. Um, but it just takes time. So uh, I'm just praying the Lord will maintain my voice until the end. <laughs> so verse 2 says, and, and when he has fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungered. Now, first question is, what Is fasting. Why do we do it? What is fasting? Well, fasting weakens the physical body while nourishing our spiritual life. Now folks, that's that's important for us to realize. That's important for us to realize. Jesus set the example for us to be by becoming as we are to help us live out his truth. Now, in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 16 and 18, there are some very important things here. It says, For verily he took not on him the nature of angels. Do you realize that? We are created differently than angels. We are created in the image of God. And when Jesus came and became a man, he took on Our nature, not the nature of angels. Angels are different than us. Okay, right now we are a little lower than the angels, but a time will come when we will be above the angels, and that's what caused Satan to 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 fall, uh, his pride. And so he took not, not on himself not the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren us that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. See, we're going to find out Jesus went through everything that you and I have gone through and will go through. Be, he is going to be our faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that, verse 18, he himself has suffered Being tempted, he is able to secure them that are tempted. Now, folks, there's amazing promises that we see here. First, Jesus identifies with us by being tempted the same way we are tempted. And we, according to this verse, can begin to identify with him through fasting and prayer by seeing the things of God. See, he is able to secure them that are being tempted, make that way of escape. See the things of God that put the temptation aside so we don't fall into that temptation. And so, fasting is about self denial, it's about humbling ourselves. And that's what's so important. What does our culture teach us today? What does it teach? It's all about affirming self, about self-worth. Right? Isn't that what you hear? But those worldly teachings are contrary to God's teachings. See, this is why, especially in our culture, most everyone, think about this, everyone's in debt. For the most part. Everyone's in debt. Now, there's nothing wrong with that unless you get... Too much, become too involved in debt. Our nations in debt, governments are in debt, people all around the world are in debt, and, and and it's because we want something now and are willing to pay for it forever. Okay, now there's nothing wrong with debt. Like I said, I mean I'm in, debt. I, I have a house payment. I'm, most people have a house payment, and my goal is one day to pay it off. Um, but it's all the other things that that are there that. We can get, get, get trapped in. You see, Jesus begins with fasting to weaken the fleshly influence of the world. Well, why does Jesus need to fast? He, has, he, he, he never sinned. He, he's not going to sin. Well, again, he's doing this for our benefit. He's doing it for our benefit. In Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16, it says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. That's why Jesus was here. He was tempted the same way we were. Only the difference is he didn't sin. But he remembers those feelings, those infirmities, And so as we continue that verse, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly into the throne of grace. Now, why would that be after that verse talking about Jesus was tempted like we were? Because the writer of Hebrews is telling us, even after we've sinned, we can still come boldly to the throne of grace and ask for God's mercy as he forgives us of the sin we just committed. After all, what's the last thing you want to do when you've just sinned? Oh, hold on. I, I just sinned. Let me pray to God. That's the last thing we want to do, but it should be the first thing we want to do. If we're being genuine about it, truly remorseful for our sin. That's what, that's what the writer here is saying. We can come boldly in the, to him, to this throne of grace, and there obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know what I believe this verse is talking about? It's talking about fasting. Because as we're in trouble, as we're, we're being bombarded with the flesh, all those temptations, we get on our knees and begin to fast and pray for, for God's answers. Not the world's answers. We already got those answers. We need God's answers. And you come boldly into his throne of grace, and you get mercy, and you get help in that time of need. I believe it's through the humility of fasting and prayer. This is how we are to overcome the world's temptations and recognize spiritual matters. See, Jesus is our intercessor and was tempted to a degree in which you and I will never be tempted to. There's a passage of Scripture talking about that he was tempted to the point of, shedding of to the shedding of blood. And you know what? I don't believe that's talking about his death on the cross. I believe that's talking about his struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane. Where he literally sweat drops of blood. He was in agony. In prayer. Let me ask a question. I haven't been. Have you ever been in that much agony and stress that you sweat drops of blood? Jesus was. Jesus was. See in Luke twenty-two forty-four, and it talks about and being in agony. He prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So that revealed the extreme pressure Jesus was facing. And again, I doubt you and I have ever been that under that much pressure, under that much stress. And so we have, we have to understand temptation. We have to understand temptation. Okay? 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but but will with every temptation also make a way of escape. They may be able to bear it. And so what do we see in that verse? There's three three important things I see here. First, any temptation I'm I'm experiencing right now, it's common. It's common. People before me have gone through it and have succeeded and have failed. It's up to me. How am I going to succeed through the temptation going through right now? Am I going to succeed or am I going to fail? But it's common. Temptation is common to man. The other truth is, is that if the temptation is coming to me, Jesus says, the Word of God says, that I can bear it. I can bear it. Otherwise, it wouldn't wouldn't be happening to me. So there's a truth that says, this is happening, so Lord, I can, I can get through this with your help. So we can't get through it on our own. It doesn't work that way, but we can get through it in Christ, because He will provide a way of escape," it says. "Every temptation is always a way of escape. How do we see that way of escape? I believe many times is in our walk, daily walking with God and in that time of fasting and prayer. God reveals the things of God because we're denying the flesh. I believe that's what takes place. Fasting and prayer helps us to realize the spiritual truths in, every, in any circumstance, any situation that we're in. See, none of us are perfect. We need one another and the Word of God in our lives. See, God understands, and, and we must understand that fasting done properly will reveal our love of the world. Now, that's hard, but it's true. It'll show us things that we fall short in. And I hope when, we really, when, when it's revealed we'll correct those things. We'll give them to God. And he'll begin to work with us to overcome those things. But if we don't, what happens? We wait until all of a sudden it's it's, it's exposed. And then testimonies are ruined. Our witness is ruined. But fasting and prayer, that's what it does. It reveals our love of the world, things of the world. But as we rid ourselves of those things as we confess those things as we get our, 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 our relationships right and we, we, we go to other people and we, and we get those, our relationships with other people right you know what, I really believe my relationship with Jesus can be no better than the, the worst relationship I have with a person I really believe that and sometimes that saddens me about myself we have to make sure our relationships are right. But as we get those things correct, then God is able to reveal the things of God and the way of escape. And so we must be willing to allow God to remove what He wants from our lives. You know, there's a passage of Scripture in Psalm 119, verse 11. We've all memorized as kids properly. Hide thy word in my heart that I will not sin against God, right? I'm going to tell you right now. I don't, I don't want to offend anybody, but memorizing Scripture doesn't do any good unless you've learned the Scripture you're memorizing. Because if God's Word should lead us to obedience. And so I've, if I've learned that Scripture and it says don't commit adultery, then I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm going to be obedient. If it says don't lie, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be truthful. You see, scriptures we know, truly know, are scriptures that we're obedient to. The ones we don't know are the ones we break. We may know them head knowledge-wise, but we haven't learned them with our heart where it brings obedience. So I want to challenge you, as you memorize Scripture, and please do memorize Scripture, learn the Scripture and apply it to your heart. Now, 1 John 2, 15-16, this is, this is kind of the focus of this whole chapter 4 here, where we see that temptation is divided in three areas. It says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, you're going to find out as we go through these three temptations that Jesus went through. And I I am one. These are just three that were written down for us. I believe Jesus had to go through a whole lot more. For 40 days. Satan did not leave him alone for 40 days. But these are the three that recorded for us. Okay? And you're gonna find out that each one of these three fall into one of these three categories: lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is my personal, my personal view. I believe that these, that every temptation. Every sin we commit falls into one of these three categories. This, these, this is the root of sin right here. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. It's right there. Now, I know I've read books, I've seen books where they say there's this and that. And that's fine. This is just my personal view. You see, the first thing we've got to look at as, as, as we go through these is that word lust. Lust of worldly things, That's sinful. Lust for godly things, that's good. Lust is not sinful. Lust itself. It's where its focus that makes it wrong or makes it right. And so as we go through this, we, we need to keep that in mind. See, lust refers to an irregular or inordinate desire. They are carnal desires or appetites that ultimately will lead one to things to do things normally that they normally would never do. Now, think about this. Moses had a lust for God. He said, no, no, don't send an angel. Either you go with me or I'm not going. That's why Moses did a lot of weird things, like raise his staff and turn it to snakes. Moses raised his staff and the waters divided. I mean, a lot of weird things that a normal person would not do. But because he had a lust for God, he trusted God and God he did with God. It led him to obedience. OK? Same thing, same thing is true with the reverse side of lust when it comes to sinful things. So understand that, that that lust itself is not sinful. It's the focus of lust. If it's after worldly things, you better get it checked. You better get it under, under control. Okay? So let's look first. Just briefly, I'm going to go over these three because we're going to cover each one of these more detailed the next three Sundays as we look at the three temptations. But the lust of the flesh is the first one, is the desire for instant gratification, something we see too often in our children, right? That's my toy. I want it. I want it now, right? You don't have to teach kids that. that. That's natural to them, okay? That's the lust of the flesh. You see, the worldview today says we need more self-love. Yet, that's the last thing we need. If I were to sit there and take a picture of my phone and pass it right here and pass it around, and you probably wouldn't do that now because I'm going to tell you that's what you'd do. But the first thing you'd do is look at, where am I? Oh, man, I have my eyes, my, my hair, oh, Wow. You look at a picture, usually the first one you look for is yourself. That's because self-love. I want to make sure that what's represented there, I'm okay with. Right? Folks, we don't need more self-love. See, the lust of the flesh reveals that we are not content with what God has given us. That's what it reveals. It shows our contentment. Are we content with all that God gives us? Or I need what they got. All right? Philippians 4.11 says this. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. Remember that. I have learned, Paul says, in whatever state I am therewith to be content. Paul learned contentment. That's how you deal with the lust of the flesh. Be content with what God has given you. Whether it's a brand new Mercedes Benz or an old clunker that you've been driving for 10 years and it keeps falling apart. Now if God gives you opportunity to, to, to get another vehicle, fine. You know? But make sure it's within your means. Make sure you're, it's, it's what God wants for us. See, God ordained Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus was going to be a poor beggar. That was God's purpose in his life, and that's what he did. So don't we gotta make sure we're not not looking at this person, that person, that person, and basing our wants off what they have. That shows we're not being content. But God knows the things that we that we need, and he'll provide those things. He'll provide them. You see, that's important. We need to be content. Now, the lust of the eyes, is the second one here we're going to look at, is the belief that if I can perceive myself having something over time, then I should obtain it. You know? Um, Now, this refers to a deceitful lust. Okay? We're actually deceiving ourselves about who we are and are standing with God. Here's a, here's a passage of Scripture, 2 Peter 2.10. Now, you may look at this and say, well, how is that here? But it's, it is clear when you look at two words that are very clear in here. It says, but chiefly, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed they are, not afraid to speak evil dignitaries, well, when you look at the lust of the eyes, what you're looking at is, is a Christian that is presumptuous and self-willed. Presumptuous and self-willed. They are presuming. For example, if you know you're, you're at work and you look at your boss, man, my boss is not very good. I do a better job, than my boss, and so I need I need to take, I need to do what I can to get that position. And what do you do then? Do you try to undermine them? Do you try to do things? You know. Presumption. Self-willed. The Bible says, what do we to do? Do all things as unto the Lord. See, a self-willed person is going to look out for number one. Someone who does everything as unto the Lord is going to look, after, look out for that person that may not be a very good boss. But you're going to help them do the be- to do the best they can. And you're, going to, and you're going to be doing the best you can to support them. You see, presumption, self-willed. See, this is dealing, This sin here deals with our aspirations. We see ourselves obtaining those things so, we should, so they should be ours. But here's the question that we need to ask ourselves. The problem with that type of th- thought is, is that what God wants for you in your life? You know how many people I've read stories about who God had called into mission work, and they couldn't go because they're too much in debt, because their job, their family life, whatever it was. See, if everything that we're doing has been confirmed by the Spirit of God in our lives, we won't have to worry about when God says, I want you to go do this, we're ready to, we're ready to go. Because He's already prepared everything in beforehand. And that's what's important here, that's what we need to see. For the lust of the eyes, it's deceitful. And now the third one here is the pride of life. It refers to showing off. It shows wrong ambitions in pursuing vain honor or glory. I mean, in Proverbs, Solomon wrote down seven things that the Lord hated. And the number one was pride. Number one thing that that, that the Lord hates is pride. Yet, isn't it the very thing that our society wants us to emphasize? How many times have you seen a motivational speaker? You know, if you, if you work for a company that's not a Christian company, a lot of times they'll bring these motivational speakers, and, and, and they're, all, they're always about, you know, uh, the key, key to success is to be proud about yourself and your accomplishments. Keep your head up. Maintain a positive attitude. And, and don't allow negativity in your life. Really? Is that what the Bible teaches? No, it's not. See, all these things are contrary to the Word of God. What's happened to having that good work ethic? Do all things as unto the Lord? Meeting the customer's needs? Developing quality products? Where's, where's all, where are all those basic things that the Bible says should take place? They almost don't exist nowadays. You see, this is why all you ever hear people talking about is their rights. What society owes me. What my work owes me. It's never about what I owe them. See, there's a difference there. Pride steps in. Pride steps in. And so each of the temptations of Jesus that we're going to be looking at these next three weeks falls into one of these three categories. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And so when you recognize these things taking place in your life, then you know it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And unfortunately, I think so often in churches today, they have bought into these philosophies, these teachings. We run everything like a business, like the business world does. Is that how we're supposed to do things? The way the business world does things? I believe it's time we come away from these things. I don't, I don't want to show hands, but how many, how many times do Christians today... Do we fast and pray? So I, I believe that too many Christians today think that prayer and fasting was something only done in the Bible times and that it's not important today. You know what? I know Jesus would speak totally differently than that. I'm going to close with this verse in Matthew 9, 14 and 15. It says, Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. You know, last time I checked, Jesus ascended into heaven 40 days after his crucifixion. Jesus is no longer here. Jesus telling the disciples of John, the day's going to come when I'm not going to be here, and then they'll fast. Jesus didn't say, and then they can fast if they want to. Or then they, they, if, they, if, if, if they choose to, they can do this or do that. But no, he said, then shall they fast. Fasting for the child of God is a command of God. We need to understand that. It's a command of God. But notice. He doesn't say how often, does he? He doesn't say when. Doesn't say how long. That's all up to you and God. However long it goes. I've fasted in the past and sometimes lasted. A week. Times it lasted 20 days. Like I said, I've never fasted 40 days. You know, but we got we have to understand the spiritual implications here. Fasting and prayer denies the flesh. And it opens the door to the things of God in our lives. That's what it does. And that's why it's so important. And it should be a routine in our life, especially when we're facing hard circumstances. Let's stand and pray. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.